Welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Libertarian Tony. Well, if this is your first time listening to this show, well, thank you very much. And if you are a repeat listener, well, then I also want to say thank you for coming back and listening to each and every show. Please don't forget to visit my website when you get a chance, libertyonfire.org, where you can get the podcast directly over the internet and links to support pages for the show to help keep the lights on and for some of the products that I'm going to recommend who I happen to be an affiliate marketer for. So if you want to support the show and you're interested in some of the products that I'm helping to promote, then go to my website and either make a donation on the Patreon page, which of course will also be in the show notes, or check out some of the products I'm advertising and see what you think. But remember to click on it through my link at my website or through the show notes. If you are a social media person, well then you can also check me out on Twitter at LOF Podcast. So that's L-O-F Podcast. And please don't forget to give me a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever medium you're using to download and listen to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, for this show, I think I was going to do a breakdown of what's going on in the primaries so far. Okay, so I don't know where to start. I guess you could start on the Trump side or you can start on the Democratic side. Let's go with the Trump side first. Okay, so we just had the New Hampshire primary last night, February 11th, and today is February 12th, and Trump got 85.5% of the vote and 128,000 votes. So this is the highest number of votes for a Republican in a primary ever, okay, it's, and close to one of the highest percentages uh, for a re-election. Actually, it might be the highest percentage for re-election. So, I mean, what does that tell you? Well, if you look back, Donald Trump in New Hampshire for the primary, he got 35.2% uh, and uh, 100,000 votes. So he increased it since then. Doesn't mean much, I guess, because he was running against a whole bunch of people at that time, and now he's basically only running against one person, Bill Weld. I don't know why Bill Weld is in the election in the first place, I mean, there's no chance of winning, and I, I don't understand, who, who's giving money to this guy? I mean, why would you send any money to Bill Weld? It just doesn't make any sense. I bet you there are, there are probably more Democrats sending money to Bill Weld than there are Republicans and independents, at least that's my guess. So Donald lost the state of New Hampshire to Hillary in the 2016 presidential election, but not by very much less than 0.4%. So that was a really close state. So, you know, a few thousand illegal votes could have made a difference in that state in that 2016 election. And I, what does it say now that Trump is getting all the support in these huge rallies in the, the 2020 primary when he's basically running uncontested? You can't really count Bill Weld. He's out. So let's pretend all the votes went to Trump. Well, the fact that people are just coming out to see him, they're not sitting at home. I mean, he, they don't, people don't really need to go and vote. I mean, nobody's going to beat Trump in the Republican primary. So the fact that he's getting all this attention is a good thing for him, right? This is great for his campaign. 
So he, he campaigned throughout Iowa, and then he campaigned throughout New Hampshire, and he's been getting huge crowds. He doesn't need the crowds. Again, nobody's going to beat him in the Republican primary, but he's getting huge crowds. So that just goes to tell you either people really like Trump or the opposite. They really dislike the opposite side. They really dislike everybody in on the Democratic side. So, yeah, I think that kind of momentum is going to carry forward throughout the rest of the year for Trump, and it's really going to help him in the November presidential election. What else can we, I guess, get from this Trump support? Well, I, I think you have to go back and look at all the different ways the Democrats have tried to undermine his presidency, probably starting with the whole Russia collusion hoax, which was never there. There was never any Russian colluding with a Trump person, campaign member, or anything. It was all completely made up. So the fact that it took a couple years for this to come out, even though a lot of people on the on the right, you know, say like uh, Sean Hannity and T- uh, Tucker Carlson and a lot of people on Fox News and Dan Bongino, they were all calling it a hoax from the beginning. And you had some great politicians calling it a hoax from the beginning, like Devin Nunes. Anyway, there's too many people to name. So the fact that this was all proven now to be a complete hoax, and it, what it really looks like is you, you have this kind of deep state Obama holdover kind of friendly people in the government who wanted to try to out a president with some sort of nonviolent coup, right? This, this is becoming obvious to so many voters that now they are rallying behind Donald Trump. So it, it's kind of like the exact opposite of what the Democrats really wanted, right? They wanted to hurt Trump with this whole Russia collusion thing, and it's only strengthened him. Then they wanted to hurt Trump with this phone call problem with Ukraine, and they had the impeachment. And again, I think this has only strengthened Donald Trump because it was a sham impeachment process for the whole House side uh, of the trial. And then the Senate side, I mean, they basically wrapped it up in a week and said, yeah, we're not going to call any more witnesses. It was a sham trial to begin with, and that's it. It's over. Now, you can argue both ways, whether it should have gone to like a more in-depth Senate trial or not. I don't know. I'm I'm still 50% on that last podcast or two. I I was leaning more towards like just get it over with, rip it off like a Band-Aid. But again, there are benefits to calling some people as witnesses, right? There are benefits to calling Hunter Biden, potentially calling Joe Biden as a witness who wouldn't show up, potentially calling... um, the crazy-eyed, bug-eyed guy, Adam Schiff, as a witness, right? I mean, he is a material witness. There's no doubt in a lot of people's minds that he knew who the whistleblower was. And then you can call the uh, the original whistleblower and then the second whistleblower, whoever these fake people are. And there's a lot of thought out there that, uh, you know, the main whistleblower was this guy, Eric Charamella, who was a CIA uh, asset working in the White House, a holdover from Obama's ad, uh, the Obama administration, who this guy ended up being like the one of the point people working with Joe Biden in Ukraine, which just kind of leads more towards that whole Ukrainian corruption thing. And, and he, he ended up 
I guess, organizing meetings between some officials from the Ukraine and Joe Biden and some George, George Soros backers. I mean, I mean, the level of corruption is just profound. Who knows if any of this will really come out in the next couple of months with you know, whatever research Rudy Giuliani has been doing and turning that over to Bill Barr and John Durham. I, I don't know. I, I'm not so optimistic that heads are going to roll because the swamp in D.C. and, like, in fact, the entire country has a way of protecting itself. And the deep state has a way of protecting itself. I mean, this is what they do. This is how they survive. This is how they've amounted this much power and the size of the bureaucratic nightmare that we call government now. I mean, they didn't get this way overnight. I mean, these people are smart. They know what they're doing. They pay off all the right politicians to get this sort of influence and power, and they're not going to go away just because Donald Trump is president. Okay, so let's, let's move on. I want to talk specifically now about the New Hampshire primary for the Democrats. Well, I have a few commercials for you guys. I'm an affiliate marketer for several different companies, which I do recommend if you're interested in such products. And you have my word that I'm only going to promote stuff that I actually use and that I actually think is a great value. So I want to tell you a little bit about Captivate FM. I use Captivate FM as my podcast hosting platform, and it's probably the best podcast hosting platform there is. Captivate is said to be the apple of podcast hosting, and the value is certainly undeniable. And you can get seven free days just for trying it out. I host my podcast through Captivate, which is the world's only growth-oriented podcast host, and you can too. Next up is the McClanahan Academy. So this is at McClanahanAcademy.com, and that's MCC. L-A-N-A-H-A-N, and a little bit about Brian McClanahan, who created this academy. He's an author of six books and a renowned historian. He got his PhD in history at the University of South Carolina. He has written numerous articles for many websites and magazines. He has nine courses for sale right now on his website covering pre- and post-Civil War American history, and he's a fantastic historian and will give it to you straight. And the next product I want you to check out is called Liberty Classroom. And you can go to libertyclassroom.com to take a look. And you can get the history and economics they didn't teach you in school. Several fantastic historians and economists have courses on this site, which you can play over the internet or through a phone app on such topics as philosophy, American history, Western civilization, the American presidents, and the interesting connection between science fiction and liberty. You can also get courses on history of economic thought, current economic thought, and remember, this is the true history you didn't get in school without the political correctness that we all love to hate. And please remember, if you're going to try out any of these products, I only get credit if you click on one of them through either my website or through the show notes on my podcast. Okay, now let's get back into the show. Houston, we have a problem. So let's just look at the results, and then we'll analyze the problem. Bernie Sanders won. Okay, he ended up uh, with 25.7% of the vote, and uh, Buttigieg came in second, 24.4%. There was an unknown that popped in here, coming in third, Klobuchar. I mean, she was not expected to do this well, but Klobuchar came in at 19.8%. 
and uh, I'll give you her vote total, 58,000 votes and change. And then it was Elizabeth Warren at 9.2% and 27,000 votes. And then it was Joe Biden at 8.4% and 24,000 votes. Okay, so now i got to switch screens here and go to my Real Clear Politics poll numbers. All right, so I, I've been using Real Clear Politics because they take an average of all the polls, and they've been a good job of taking all the poll averages, putting it together. They have a chart form on their website, which you can go back and look at all the different polls for these Democratic primary candidates. Uh, you can go back all the way till you know, before April, and you, there's a slider on this, uh, on this chart that you can narrow it down to like the last three months or 30 days. It, it's actually really helpful. It's nice. Now, it, it, just looking at the chart for Joe Biden, okay, going back to, uh, let, what is that, like May of 2019, Joe Biden at one point was at 41%. Okay, his real clear politics average right now 19.2%. Bernie Sanders, back in the same time in May of 2019, 14.6%. So let's look at Bernie Sanders now. Now, these are polls, okay? This isn't primary results. Polls. Sanders right now is his average real clear politics poll, 23.6%. Okay, he has surpassed Joe Biden in the national poll average. This has never happened before. Okay, Biden has always been in the lead. And now because Biden had a horrible showing in both Iowa and New Hampshire, his poll numbers have plummeted. And because Iowa really went to Bernie, even though the delegates ended up going more to Buttigieg, I think Bernie got like 6,000 more votes in Iowa than Buttigieg did. So, you know, Bernie won the popular vote in that state. And then Bernie uh, did well in New Hampshire. He came in first. So Bernie's been surging. Now, what's been happening to Buttigieg? Well, Buttigieg is kind of in a little bit of a surge right now. So go back to, I guess, December of 2019. Buttigieg is at 11.4% in the national polls, and then he dropped significantly. He dropped into like the 6 and 7% range. Now, since he's doing well in these first two states, he's polling higher. He's polling at 10.6%. He's right behind Warren at 12.4%. Okay, so I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, and we're, we're going to start breaking these down. I want to I want to talk about states a little bit. Okay, all right, so... Right now, again, I'm going to repeat this. We have Sanders leading Biden by almost 4.4% in the national polls. Well, upcoming, you have Nevada, and then you have South Carolina. So Nevada, Biden is still ahead of Bernie Sanders by a little bit. Biden's at 21%. Sanders is at 17.5%. And then there's Warren, Steyer, and Buttigieg, okay, afterwards. And, and they're, they're not doing so well in those states. South Carolina, it looks like Joe Biden still has a commanding lead. Okay, guess who's coming in second right now in the polls in South Carolina? Well, it's Tom Steyer. I mean, he's been blasting that state with media and mailers and all sorts of advertising. I think he's spending like big, big bucks in, in South Carolina. 
and he, he's come up significantly. Okay, so Bernie Sanders is right now coming in third in South Carolina, and Warren and Buttigieg are way down. So, well, what does that tell you so far? Well, this is what I got to say, I guess, about Joe Biden. If Joe Biden loses South Carolina, well, then he's, he's done. Super Tuesday will not help him at all. So that's why Joe Biden packed up early from New Hampshire. He knew he wasn't going to do well, and he went to South Carolina. And he's already starting campaigning in South Carolina. I don't know what that means for Nevada, whether they really consider Nevada very important or not. But I guess there's a chance that Biden's going to completely skip Nevada and just put all his eggs in the South Carolina basket. And now I want to talk about, I guess, what do you do with these Iowa and New Hampshire results if you're these four people? If you're Bernie, Warren, Klobuchar, and Buttigieg. Okay, so now this is is separate from Biden. I think Biden has long-term problems. I think he's losing support because he just doesn't look like he should be up there campaigning. He, he doesn't look like he should be up there debating people. He, he makes a lot of gaffes, but not, not because he's, he's really dumb. He, he makes these gaffes because I just don't think he's mentally competent to handle this anymore. He, he's just, there's, there's not, it's not necessarily that there's a screw loose. Or there might be, but he's not aging well. And, Whatever's going on inside his head, he looks like he should be seriously, you know, enjoying retirement someplace down in Florida as opposed to being on this campaign trail. Campaigning for president is not easy. I mean, it takes a lot of work. You're probably uh, traveling every day or every other day to a different site, and you got to get up and give a big speech. you got to shake a lot of hands and talk to people and knock on doors and do all that kind of stuff. I mean, this is really not something geared to someone who is his age. I mean, he's 77. Bernie's a year older at 78. But Biden, uh, I mean, you can argue that Bernie has aged much better than Biden has, even though Bernie just had a heart attack. It doesn't look like it. Anyway, yeah, so that's pretty much all I have to say about Biden. If, if he loses South Carolina, he's done. So if Biden loses South Carolina, he's out. If he wins South Carolina, well, then he's basically still in it, and he'll probably stick around until Super Tuesday because, well, why not? Right? All you really need is to go into Super Tuesday with some sort of victory that you can claim is support you know, for your presidency, and then you, you kind of just go to Super Tuesday and roll the dice. Super Tuesday is on March 3rd, so it's coming up pretty quickly. Okay, so now let's get back to those, those four people that we're talking about. You can break this up into two different wings, and I've, I've seen this done before. On uh, Laura Ingram did it, and other people are talking about it on the Internet and on some of the news channels. You kind of have this socialist wing of the Democratic Party, uh, and that's Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Now, you might not consider Elizabeth Warren a socialist. However, I mean, she just wants to spend even more money on government programs than Bernie does. So how can you not call her a socialist? I mean, her Medicare for All plan, uh, it wasn't double Bernie's, but it was like $20 trillion more than what Bernie wanted to spend. Okay, so just policy-wise, she is a socialist, okay? Bernie ended up with... 25.7% 25.7% of the vote, and Warren, 
add that together uh, together for New Hampshire, and you have about 35%. Okay, keep that number in the back of your mind. And then you look at the establishment types. Okay, so supposedly Klobuchar and Buttigieg are supposed to be these establishment pick Democrats, and they're supposed to be the moderates in their party. I mean, you wouldn't call them a moderate from a libertarian or a Republican point of view. They're still crazy leftists, but, you know, they're supposed to be the moderates in that party. Joe Biden is considered a moderate, but he's not getting any support from Iowa or New Hampshire. So, you know, what do you do with his numbers? Maybe we'll just throw that in at the end here. Okay, so if you have uh, if you add the percentages for both Klobuchar and Buttigieg together, right, Klobuchar had 19.8% and Buttigieg had 24.4%. Add that together, together, you're at about 44%. So what does this tell you? Well, if the socialist crew want to get together and form an alliance, you know, let's say Bernie is president and Warren is vice president or something like that, they would get a ton of support, right? They would beat Buttigieg and Klobuchar easily if they didn't form an alliance. And Elizabeth Warren would probably have to go back and grovel and apologize to, to Bernie for calling him a sexist. But I think that's the only way Elizabeth Warren is going to end up in the White House at this point, is if she goes to someone and forms an alliance. She can't necessarily do it with I think Biden or Klobuchar or Buttigieg, I mean, they're just too far apart on their policy prescriptions for the country, but I think she could do it with Bernie. And don't forget, she carries some of the female vote with her, right? So this wouldn't be such a bad outcome if Warren wanted to still be in the White House. So as far as Warren's campaign for president, I mean, it's over. She did pretty horrible in Iowa. She did pretty horrible in New Hampshire. There's no way she's going to win Nevada or South Carolina, so she's basically done. The only way Elizabeth Warren stays relevant at this point is if she goes and forms an alliance with someone, and that most likely someone at this point is probably Bernie. Now, whether Bernie forgives her or not is a whole different story, but it's politics, and you have strange bedfellows that end up getting together because of politics. So, anyway... The same thing almost goes for Klobuchar, okay? Uh, Klobuchar, if she wants to be in the White House, well then, what she needs to do, I think she needs to go and talk to Pete Buttigieg. I don't know if it'll work out, but, you know, Pete Buttigieg has done well in the first two states, and, and Klobuchar has surged significantly in New Hampshire. Well, together, you know, their percentage in New Hampshire was 44%. So if you put the two establishment people against the two socialist candidates in the Democratic Party, well, the establishment people win. And, and that's what, you know, that's what Wall Street wants for them. That's what the DNC, the Democratic National Committee wants. They want the establishment people, right? So th this wouldn't be such a bad relationship. Now, who would be president and who would be vice president? Well, I mean... Klobuchar is 59 years old, and Buttigieg, I think he just turned like 18 or 19 or something like that. I don't know. He's pretty young. I, I don't know if Klobuchar can go to Buttigieg and be like, hey, you be my vice president, because Buttigieg is already doing better than Klobuchar in the first two states. Buttigieg is polling horribly in South Carolina. Okay, so 
after these first two states, it's not looking great for Buttigieg. I, I think an argument Klobuchar could make to Buttigieg, which might work, not sure, but it might work, is you tell him, look, you're just a kid, you can be my vice president, and then you have a huge career ahead of you in politics where you can run for president in eight years, 12 years, or whenever down the road, right? I mean, that kind of makes sense because, I mean, Buttigieg is, he's at least, you know, he's almost half the age of Klobuchar. Would Klobuchar agree to be Buttigieg's vice president? I seriously doubt it. I, I mean, she doesn't need it. I mean, she's already senator. She has much more experience in politics than Buttigieg does already. But, you know, Klobuchar as a, as a president candidate, uh, you know, a female presidential candidate with a, a Buttigieg, you know, kind of rising support vice president, I mean, that could do pretty well. And they would probably then beat out the socialists, even if the socialists wanted to combine their, their people. Now, what happens if nobody wants to form an alliance? And that's probably what's going to happen, right? All these people have their own egos, okay? Uh, I, I mean, I really think Warren needs to do something because her care campaign is already dead. So if she wants to stay relevant at all, she has to make an alliance. But... You know, I mean, Bernie, Klobuchar, Buttigieg, and Biden, all these people have super big egos. And to go and tell Pete Buttigieg, hey, uh, why don't you be my vice president? That's probably not going to sit well with him, even though, I mean, it would still be great for his career, right? To be vice president for four to eight years or something, and then he can run for president again because he's so young. If nobody forms an alliance, I think eventually Bernie wins the nomination, okay? And... I think it's going to be really hard for the DNC to take it away from Bernie again. Okay, so Bernie, again, is surging in the national polls. He's got a huge ground game of grassroots people out there supporting him. He's getting tons of donations in small dollar amounts. So people really like Bernie. And when, I don't know if you watched any of the coverage, but when, when regular normal people were interviewed, um, about about their, I guess, choice of, of who they voted for and why, some of people came out and said, well, we picked Bernie because it looked like everybody was against Bernie, right? So people in the news were coming out and saying Bernie was a sexist and Bernie Sanders is done and he can't win and he's a socialist and they were putting him down. Well, th this is just screaming 2016 rigging by Hillary. I mean, th this is all coming back and and slapping the voters in the face again who supported Bernie four years ago. And they're not having it. They they want Bernie, looks like, probably more than anybody else in the Democratic field. So, I mean, that's great for Bernie, bad for everybody else, bad for the, the DNC, bad for all the, you know, establishment types who don't want Bernie. And what, what's it going to do? I mean, people are talking about it fracturing the party, I mean, which is certainly possible. So, yeah, at this point, it's, I, I think in, uh, Laura Ingram on Fox News, I think she's totally right. I mean, these people have to come out and now form an alliance before Super Tuesday, because if you wait until Super Tuesday, there's a good chance Bernie could run away with it himself. He's still going to need a vice president, so, I mean... It even behooves Bernie to go to Warren and be like, hey, you want to form an alliance? Or, he, or Bernie could go to Klobuchar and try to do it with her. It's At this point, if you don't form an alliance, you're going to have 
a probably fracturing of the party in the next six months, and Donald Trump's easily going to win. Then what? I, I don't know. Is the Democratic Party done? Do we form a new socialist party and then a, you know, like a normal Democrat party where they're kind of call themselves moderates? I mean, who knows at that point, right? Because AOC has already come out and supported Bernie. And so she'd be in that whole socialist wing. And you have a lot of, uh, you know, millennials and younger people who don't really know anything about life or know anything about economics. And they're supporting AOC. So and by extension, they also support Bernie. Well, that's not going to be good for the Democratic Party as a whole, right? Because if you, if you split the votes, well, then you're kind of guaranteeing some, I guess, Republican victories down the road for a good number of years. And they, of course, really don't want that. Well, I don't know what else I could really talk to you guys about on this podcast, but that's my analysis so far. Uh, I think the Democrats got to form an alliance or they're done. And... You know, no matter who they put up against Trump in 2020, I think they're going to have a problem. And who do you want to blame for that? Well, you could probably somewhat blame Nancy Pelosi, right, for the whole impeachment thing. And you can probably uh, blame the deep state for going after Trump in the first place because it didn't work. And all it did was strengthen him. Okay, guys, thank you for listening. And let's remember to keep those fires of liberty burning bright. (laughs) 